0: It's great to see everyone this morning, and uh, as I get set up, I'll just mention that uh, Pastor Corey, right, you remember Pastor Corey, right? <laughs> he's, he's supposed to come back on Tuesday, right, so he's supposed to return uh, to his post here at church, <laughs> so I'm looking forward to seeing him. Um, yeah, and we pray that he will come back refreshed, right, refreshed and renewed, um, and uh, charged for for ministry. Um, today we're going to continue on in our series in this in the Book of Acts, our sermon series that we've been doing since since May. Actually, right, we've been doing this since May, and we're only in chapter six. Right, but um, we're going to take a big jump today. And uh, before I get into the service, uh, into the sermon, though, I wanted to thank uh, the three. The three guys who came up here and have preached the last three Sundays, All right? Stephen Okamoto, there was Pastor David Kitani, and J.R. Hun. And I just want to thank them for their, their willingness to serve and to bring us God's word, right? And, and I thank God and I praise God for how, um, how, they and how they taught and how they preached with a different style and different insight, right, that they each had. And so I think we are very blessed, we are very blessed to have them uh, with us and, uh, and teaching us God's word. Um, it is the word of God that sustains us, right? Moses says in Deuteronomy 8.3, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And today we're going to take a big bite, right, a big mouthful of God's word and I want to start by kind of recapping where we've come from, right? Like I mentioned, we're in chapter 6 of Acts, and so I just want us to um, remember what happened and where we're at in the, in the context of Scripture. Um, you know, and this morning, my prayer is that we will draw from the Word, we will receive instruction for our lives, um, but in addition, we will grow to love God's Word, we will grow to understand it in a way that draws us closer to Him, right, and gives us a perspective on how important Scripture is, okay? Um, So just a a quick recap, right? In Acts chapter 1, after Jesus' death and resurrection, He promises the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he promises the Holy Spirit so that they would be his witnesses. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, right, the Holy Spirit comes upon them in power. Right? And this is a well known passage. And they speak in tongues, they speak in tongues of many languages. And so there are other people there um, in their presence. And as they're speaking in tongues, filled by the Holy Spirit, um, they recognize the gospel in their language. So I don't know why all these other people of different languages happen to be there. right? But they receive the word and they receive God's um, their, his message to them in their own native language. Right? Peter preaches, and as he preaches, the people place their faith in Jesus. They come together, and in Acts 2.47, it talks about how they devote themselves to teaching, to fellowship, to prayer, and ministry, right, to the, uh, to the sick and needy. And God, God blesses them. They, they experience a togetherness, a oneness, a unity in their community that they've never seen before. And God, like I said, God blesses them, and it says he added to their numbers daily, In chapter 2, verse 36, Peter says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. In Acts 4.12, he says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So this is a great verse. Acts four twelve, um, I think it's the first verse that I ever committed to to memory, that ever uh, first Bible verse right that I ever memorized, and, and I can remember it, you know, kind of, kind of clearly. I was ten years old, right, so not too long ago. I was ten years old, and I had just started going to church, and I went to this camp, this Christian camp called Green Oaks Ranch. Um, and I remember that the group of us were to recite the verse by memory in order to go horseback riding right so you had to say the verse to get on the horse tough camp right I don't think they do that at Winter Vision um, that's maybe old school um, but that verse that verse right, is, is, is meaningful it says Jesus is the only way But as the church in Acts begins to grow, we see problems cropping up, right? We've learned the past few weeks. In chapter 5, we see Ananias and Sapphira. They lie about what they're giving to the church, and they're struck down. We learned as well from David Kitani that the church had developed blind spots, right? In the church, in the life of the church, they formed discrimination against the Hellenistic Jews, in addition, they, they, um, they neglected the widows, right, with their share of the food. But to its credit, to the credit of the leaders and of the church at that time, they tried to address these things. And Acts 6-7 says, The word of God spread, and the number of disciples increased rapidly. So Christianity was gaining serious traction, right? The ball was moving now, there's one other thing I want us to notice as we look back. Starting in chapter 4, we see opposition forming against the church and the proclaiming of Jesus' name. As Christianity grew, the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, right, they could see their power, their own power and influence, diminishing. They thought they had squashed Christianity when they crucified Jesus Right? Yet here it was again. And you don't want to know why? It's because God is unstoppable. Amen. God is unstoppable, right? And His word never goes out void. It never returns void when it goes out. Um, so the, 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 the Sadducees, the Jewish leaders, they start this campaign. right It's really a campaign. They start a campaign of harassing, arresting. And persecuting right the apostles, trying to disrupt disrupt the work of the Lord. And this brings us to our text this morning. Right. Like I said, we're gonna cover a pretty big chunk. It's Acts from Acts six eight to eight four this morning. Um so let's before we do that, let's take a moment to pray. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would be here with us as the the worship songs that we sang. We reach out to you, Lord, um, and we ask for your spirit to be here. We ask for you to teach us by your Holy Spirit your word, to give us a love and appreciation for your word and for what you did back in Acts and what you're doing in our church today. I pray that you would minister to our hearts through this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so I'm going to read from Acts, starting at six, um, chapter 6, verse 8, and I'll read um, like 10 or 11 verses here. It says, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition, among, opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom of the Spirit. They could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Then the high priest asked Stephen, Are these charges true? And to this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The glory of God appeared to our father Abraham. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So because this passage is is pretty long, um, I'm just going to try and summarize for you Uh, a lot of it, right? We're not going to read the entire passage. But what we see in these first 10 verses is a continuation of the work of the Holy Spirit through Stephen, right? In verse 8, it says, Stephen performed great wonders and signs among the people. See, God's grace and power, it continues to manifest itself among the people. At the same time, Opposition from the Jewish leaders also continues as they force Stephen to testify right before the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish high court. It's the highest court right, in the Jewish uh, religious system. And they forced him to testify under a bunch of false charges, false accusations. So over the next 50 verses, Stephen answers their false accusations By giving them an Old Testament history lesson, he recounts God's faithfulness and God's covenant relationship with Abraham, Joseph, Moses, and King David, and the fact that God has always been faithful to the nation of Israel. He he shows his understanding and respect for things like circumcision, the law, and the temple, right? These were things he's being brought up on charges for blaspheming. He, he, he shows his respect and his knowledge for those things, and he, he explains to the Jews that those were signs, right, of the sacred relationship they had with God the creator. Okay, in his testimony, though, he not only shares this Old Testament information, but he boldly Describes how Israel has taken these things, okay, these things, and turned them like, um, like circumcision and the law and the temple, and taken these things and turned them into instruments of legalism, of self righteousness, right, and of exclusivity. They use them as reasons to say we're superior to others, right, and we don't accept other people or we oppress those that aren't like us they took those things and used them so Stephen prompted by the Holy Spirit he calls them out for their hard heartedness toward God so if you jump, if we jump all the way to chapter 7 verses 51 and 53 he says you stiff necked people your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. Whoa. Right, so he goes from testifying and trying to... um, be able to explain his respect, right, for the Jewish tradition and history. But then he takes it, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he speaks truth to these Jewish religious leaders, and he calls them out, right, for their hard-heartedness and how they have turned these things, right, into things of legalism and self-righteousness. So I guess Stephen, he, he probably never read Dale Carnegie's book, right? Dale Carnegie's book on how to win friends and influence people because he is, right, dressing them down. Um, it's clear, however, I want us to know that Stephen is not just speaking his, his thoughts and his ideas. He is speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit. Going on, it says, When members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses, right, those who had given false testimony, they laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So Stephen, he infuriates them. Right? Not by blaspheming God, as he was being charged, but by ironically speaking the truth of God, he dressed them down, testifying to how they had turned against God. And in a mob-like rage, they drag him out and they kill him. In chapter eight, we start. We read, and Saul approved of the killing, of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So a disturbing turn of events right here in chapter 7 and 8. It seems like everything is going good. And then Stephen testifies, right? And they enrage, they stone him, they kill him, and this great persecution breaks out. What does the Lord want us to take, right, from this passage? So the, over the last couple of weeks, as I've been studying and preparing Right? I think God has shown me two perspectives on the passage. One I would call a little picture, okay, which are lessons, they're lessons like instructions, which we get directly from the passage itself. The other, a big picture. right. These are broader themes, I think, which are only visible when we step back and we interpret events from a larger standpoint. And we ask ourselves, what's happening here? What is God doing? Uh, so let me give you, the, on the little picture side, three points. Okay. First is that we live in covenant relationship with God. Over and over throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see God saying, I will be their God, and they will be my people. What first started in Genesis with a relationship between God and Abraham, okay, and known as the Abrahamic covenant, that now extends to us. right? Even though we're not Jewish, we are the seed of Christ, the seed of Abraham, as believers, as children of God. And that covenant relationship extends to us. This means that God is for us. And we are his. I went to a workshop uh, yesterday at um, Evergreen Church, and it was a, a workshop on identity, our identity in the Lord. And we learned that we discover who we are when we better understand whose we are. And this is who we are as a church. We have this special relationship with God the Father, right? This is who we are as a church. This is who we are as individual believers. The Jewish leaders, they lost sight of this, right? They lost sight of this. There was this sacred relationship. They turned to things that were relationship-based, circumcision, the law, the temple, these things that were made to be symbols of God's love and care for his people. They turned them into legalistic do's and don'ts. So we live in a covenant relationship with God. Second, do not resist the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit resides within every believer, but he also works in us for specific purposes. We see that he worked in Stephen Right? to manifest God's power through signs and wonders and to speak biblical truth. As believers, though, we can and we sometimes, we sometimes do resist the Holy Spirit. When we're tight, when we're set in our ways, when we're judgmental, when we're unaccepting of others, unwilling to yield to God's word, Sometimes, you know, when you come to church or you're in Bible study or in prayer and and God speaks to you through the word and there may be this sense of what God is really saying to you um, and we try to ignore it or we try to resist it, right? Or we try to press it down. These are signs of resistance. Being open to the Holy Spirit is not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing process I remember when Pastor Steve was here, he used to share about how it's a posture. It's an attitude of the heart before God. A sensitivity and a submission to what God is doing in us and around us. I think what Amy shared earlier was a good example. Right? She felt the Lord's conviction, the Lord's pressing on her of sin. And she took the time to ask the Lord, what is that? Not to brush it off, not to try and resist it, not to plow through, but to seek the Lord. What, what is it? Right? And to find that closer relationship with the Lord. Do we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us? To move us? To guide us? Or do we hold our ground and do we hold on to our tight, self-righteous ways? I think of um, how in the church we've been speaking about fervent prayer. Okay, and When I think about fervent prayer, it's not just how often we pray or how often we gather. It's how we pray. Are we opening ourselves up? Are we availing ourselves to God's Spirit? Okay, Stephen and the early church They surrendered to the Holy Spirit, and God did did great things among them. Third, we preach Jesus as Lord and Messiah. Okay, this is the gospel message. This is the message that we have. Jesus is the risen Lord. He is the holy and righteous one, killed by man, raised by God, and the only name, by which we can be saved. We bow before Jesus, not just because he died for our sins and opens the way to heaven, but like it says in Philippians 2, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ. Is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the message Peter, Stephen and the Apostles preach, calling people to the risen Lord. And it's our message as well. Jesus Jesus is Lord and Christ all day, every day. So big picture, let's talk about what's happening here, big picture. We see the church was growing, it was united, filled with the Holy Spirit. They were glorifying the Lord, and all looked good. You know, you're like reading through these first chapters of Acts, and you're like, yes, right? God is moving. And then Stephen is martyred, persecution breaks out, and the believers scatter. All seems lost. There are three observations I'd like to share with you that may give you a different perspective on things. The first, Stephen was a flashpoint for the gospel to go out. Stephen's testimony proved to be a breaking point for the Jewish leaders. They couldn't take it anymore. The way it's described here, it was literally a mob scene. Right? Scary stuff. They screamed at the top of their lungs, rushed him, dragged him out of the city, and killed him. And this triggers a great persecution against the church. And yet God, God uses these terrible events to advance the gospel. How do we see this? Acts 8.1 says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. All except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Right, so because of persecution, the believers who were all together, like we are here, scattered right, to surrounding areas, but specifically Judea and Samaria. Now, if you have your Bibles and you turn back to Acts 1.8, in Acts 1.8, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In Acts 8, 4, it says, and those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So this growing church in Jerusalem, right, it gets crushed. right, crushed completely squashed, it's, it, it gets splintered, and the members go out, and they end up precisely where Jesus wanted them to go, and what he spoke about seven chapters earlier. Coincidence? <laughs> no. God, maybe? Yeah. Right? It was always God's intention to have the gospel spread. And it still is. The gospel was never meant to remain just in Jerusalem. And as wonderful as it was to see the church gather and grow and share together, God had bigger plans for his people. And I think it's the same for us. And it's the same for every Christian church. The Great Commission says to go and make disciples. And we are called to advance the gospel here in West Covina and to the ends of the earth. Now, I know we don't have a lot of time, but um, someday I would love for you to hear this, this story and this testimony um, about one of our members who just this past week, and I was on the phone with him the other day, just this past week, had the opportunity to share the gospel with two different people. And one that he shared with, these two people he shared with, one was the guy who was doing fumigation (laughs) um, and pest control work here at the church. Okay, because we have some ant and cockroach problems, in in case you didn't know. Right? But he happened to run into this guy, and he gets into the conversation, and he shares his faith with him, and he shares the gospel, and he gives him the New Testament Bible right? The other, this is equally interesting to me, the other was the cable TV customer service representative, right? So, you're like, your cable box isn't working right. You call the guy on the phone. You talk to the customer service rep, right? And the guy is in the Philippines, right? He's in the Philippines, and this member of our church gets into the conversation because, you know, he has to make adjustments to the, and turn off and turn on things, and there's kind of a time to wait there, and so he brings up conversation with him, and he talks about Jesus, and he shares the gospel with him, right? And the, and the guy says, well, you know, I can't say too much because, right, they record these calls, and <laughs> so, uh, like, you know, um, but he, pro- he shares his address, his mailing address with the member of our church so the member of our church can send him a Bible as well. So talk about advancing the gospel, right, in West Covina and to the ends of the earth. The second big picture point here, Stephen had a ministry of martyrdom. Okay, Stephen was the first Christian martyr, the first that we know of, to die because of his faith and testimony for the Lord Jesus. Now I say that he had a ministry of martyrdom that may be new to you. This doesn't mean that dying for his faith was his only purpose in life. We know that up until his death, Stephen served the church faithfully and he performed great signs and wonders. But I do believe that some people, some people have the ministry of sacrificing their lives for the gospel, it happens. In fact, it happens all over the world. I keep this. Um, I keep this bookmarker in my Bible. <laughs> Did I leave it at my pew? I keep it in my Bible usually. Okay. And it's a Bible about those that are the persecuted church, and it says that there are over one hundred million Christians across the world that are persecuted, right? We don't see that in our country so much or maybe in modernized places, but around the world, right, to hold your Christian faith and to keep it and to hold it high, okay, costs you dearly. Um, I lost my place here. Excuse me. it happens, right? It happens all over the world. Um, and, And it's my conviction, my feeling, we need to be in prayer, right, for those that are persecuted. The brothers and sisters we share in the faith that serve the Lord for the gospel to go out in other places. It's kind of unnerving, right, to think of the ministry of martyrdom. But don't we already know this? Right? Haven't we already seen this in Scripture, in Mark, Chapter 8, verses 34 and 35, Jesus tells the people, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. A few chapters later in Mark, chapter 13, verses 9 through 11, he says, You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. And on account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you're arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time. For it is not you speaking but the Holy Spirit. So doesn't this sound like it was written for Stephen and Peter and these apostles? Right? And it was, right? Jesus was speaking to them, and he's speaking to us, but this, right, is often a part of the martyr's process, to stand before governors and kings, and in Stephen's case, the highest Jewish religious court, the Sanhedrin, to testify to Jesus Christ as the risen Savior and Lord. And being willing to testify to Christ and to die for him, right? It speaks volumes to rulers and kings and these people that we're talking about and all who are watching. It testifies to the worth of the gospel. The ministry of martyrdom has a special place in the advancement of the gospel. Sometimes it's the only way, the only way for the gospel to break through to unbelieving hearts. When somebody makes that supreme sacrifice and then people step back and say, wow, what just happened? Joseph Saan, in his article, Suffering and Martyrdom, God's Strategy in the World, writes this. When the ambassador of Christ speaks the truth in love and meets death with joy, a strange miracle occurs. The eyes of unbelievers are opened. They are enabled to see the truth of God and this leads them to believe in the gospel. Ever since the centurion's eyes were opened at Calvary, remember the centurion when Jesus was crucified? Ever since he believed that Jesus was the Son of God because he had seen the manner of his death the manner of Christ's death. Thousands and thousands of Christian martyrdoms over the centuries have produced the same results. Moreover, this was precisely what Tertullian had in mind when he wrote that the blood of martyrs is the seed out of which new Christians are born. Like Jesus, Stephen was not a martyr by chance. Okay, it didn't just happen. God was not asleep at the wheel. It was part of his ministry. Last point, okay, and this is our conclusion, and I've been talking a lot, is that God is on mission. As we study history, as we read the Bible, as we grow to know the character of the Lord, we learn that God is purposeful. He doesn't let things go to waste. He rules over the course of history, and he commands the events of mankind to serve his purposes. And that purpose is to glorify Jesus as Lord throughout the earth and to reconcile people to him, to bring people of all nations into his good and glorious kingdom. Right? At first glance, Acts 7 and 8 appears to be a disaster, right? a complete catastrophe for the church. And in some ways it was. Right? Sin and resistance and the enemy are all at work here in the passage, opposing God. But if we step back, if we look at how the believers were strengthened by the Holy Spirit, how they were dispersed to exactly the place where Jesus said, how they continued to preach the gospel wherever they went, I think we get a sense of God's sovereign hand. Right? The Jewish leaders may fight it. Satan may try to stop it. But God controls the ultimate outcome and conclusion. Right? This is his story. So the book of Acts in a sentence, right, is about the expansion of the Christ-following movement, believers in Jesus from Jerusalem going outward and proclaiming Jesus as the risen Lord. And this passage today, Acts 7 and 8, right, this passage is a pivotal point in that expansion. And so I pray that we will learn from Stephen and from the church in Acts to be faithful faithful in spreading the gospel and sharing the love of Christ wherever God takes us. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Um, Thank you for how you are over all of these things and you are over our, our lives as well. Father, and the things that take place in our individual lives and well, as well in the lives of us as a church, they're not beyond your reach and your control. They're not completely random. Father, as, um, as was said earlier in the service, I ask that we would press into you and we would seek you and deepen our devotion to you and that you would give us wisdom and discernment and understanding about how you are at work. How you're at work in us, in our hearts, and in the world around us. And we pray that you would um, use us and bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.